0: Amen. Thank you, Claire. Good morning, everyone. Claire said uh, we often visit, but actually, it's been quite some time. I was quite shocked when I looked at my diary. Um, that's because uh, last autumn I unexpectedly had to go in for surgery, and uh, I was all set to come and preach here uh, despite the surgery. Until having had the operation, I looked at the guidance notes, and I was told I was not to get, go out for two weeks. So I thought after three days I shouldn't be coming. So that's why you didn't see us last autumn. But really good to be with you. I'd forgotten just how good it is to be at Newmarket. Because uh, many, many times when I've been here without giving any indication of what I'm going to preach on, whoever the worship leader was... ...has had absolute confirmation, and Mike, you've done it again this morning, or should we say the Holy Spirit's done it, okay, because uh, the meeting opened up this morning with Psalm 3, I know that wasn't you, that was Claire, but uh, speaking of the foes that are against us, the first song spoke about storms, the second song spoke about chains being broken... And then Mike began to speak about wrong thoughts in our minds. And this morning I've got a very clear message that I woke up with about two weeks ago. And uh, it's about setbacks, strongholds and struggles. Other names for foes, other names for storms, other names for wrong thoughts, etc. Okay, so I, I'm really feeling uh, this is right. And you know, we were singing, in fact, we were declaring in song again and again this morning about he's a God of miracles. But I want to say something and get some reality into this. It's jolly hard to make those declarations when you need a miracle and you're not seeing it, isn't it? I don't want to take anything away from the exhortations, the prophetic word and all that, to be reaching out to God. But the reality is we don't always see it at the time we would like to see it. That, that, that's the reality. Because, you know, uh, Jean Darnell, some of you might remember her, she passed away just a few weeks ago. She used to speak about living life in the overlap. That we're, 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 we're heading for heaven, we want to see more of the kingdom of God and we're kind of living in that in-between stage where sometimes we see it but there's still more to come, amen? And we need to be believing for the more to come in this life but also still trusting God even when we don't see those things, amen? So um, the message I've got for you is that God is bigger, God is bigger. It's another way of saying, another song we had this morning, how great is our God. Turn with me, will you, to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 32. This is a prayer of Jeremiah. And it's quite some prayer, really. But I'm not not wanting so much to use it for its prayer content, so much as reminding us, just what a big God we have. And this is what he says in picking up in verse 17, Jeremiah 32, I'm reading from the NIV version. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth. That speaks of a big God, doesn't it? Hello? I'm from a Pentecostal church, I expect a response, okay? I preach better when I get response. African churches is where I preach the best because I get more response, okay? (laughs) Our sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show love to thousands but bring punishment for the father's sins into the laps of their children after them. O great and powerful God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, great are your purposes, and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to all the ways of men. You reward everyone according to his conduct and as his deeds deserve. You performed miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued them to this day, both in Israel and among all mankind. And have gained the renown that is still yours. You brought your people Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. You gave them this land and you had, that you had sworn to give to their forefathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. They came in and took possession of it. But. They did not obey, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I want to uh, leave it there. God was faithful; they came in, and they took possession of the promises that God made to them. And Moses prayed, and I want to pray it this morning, recorded in Deuteronomy. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass. Like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. i praise the greatness of our God. As I said, uh, God, I woke up about two weeks ago. I very clearly was just beginning to ponder what God wanted me to bring for this Sunday. I'll be honest with you and say I pulled out six possible messages on my desk. And then God spoke. And I like it when it's like that. So this is a completely fresh message. And I felt the Lord say that I was to come and uh, remind you, if you like, exhort the fact that God is bigger. He is bigger than any situation you will ever face individually or together as a church. And in particular, he is bigger than the setbacks that you encounter, as well as the strongholds that will come against you. And thirdly, he is bigger than the struggles you experience. The setbacks, the strongholds, and the struggles. Firstly then, delays and setbacks are part of life, even for God's people. Despite God's intervention in sending increasingly horrible plagues again and again, Pharaoh delayed, you'll remember, the Israelites in their desire to leave Egypt, to go to another place to be able to worship with complete freedom. They weren't heading for the promised land. Actually, you check it out in Exodus chapter 8. The request to Pharaoh was, we need to get out into the wilderness. We need to get out into a place of freedom to worship the Lord. That was their primary thing that they wanted to do. And in a similar way, I'm aware how over a significant length of time, you as a church actually tried to move your Sunday worship from unit 11 to a new place until finally the way opened for you to move here. And in a similar way, after resistance and delaying tactics, Pharaoh finally said to Moses and Aaron, you'll find it in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 31, he said, go then, go. Big exclamation mark. And worship the Lord as you have requested. Mm -hmm. Notice, as I've said a moment ago, the Israelites' first priority wasn't to leave Egypt to gain all the blessings of the promised land that God had promised them, even though that's important, but it was to be free from the restrictions of them worshipping the Lord. Amen? Worship's important. That's already been mentioned this morning by Claire, hasn't it? And finally, after delays and disappointments, they left, we're told, with all of their possessions, including their flocks and their herds, and I love this bit, and already prepared dough for bread and cakes. It actually says cakes. They like cakes. I tell you something, you'll be in for a treat next Sunday because the Filipinos love their cakes. We've ministered a lot in the Philippines. And second to the Polish people, I think, in regards to their cakes. They left with their flocks, their herds, and their already prepared dough for bread and cakes. But that wasn't all. For when, in God's plans and purposes, the the time finally came for them to leave, and I bet it felt a mighty long time, just as it does sometimes when you're waiting for a miracle, it feels like God is too late, and will he ever show up? When the time finally came for them to leave... They left not only with their flocks and their herds and their dough, but they left with an abundance of additional blessings. Don't you just love additional blessings? Amen? They left with some fine Egyptian clothing and with silver and gold given to them by the Egyptians, by their captors. God caused some of the wealth of the world to be transferred to his people. And furthermore, Psalm 105 and verse 37 tells us that God didn't just bring them out of Egypt laden, it said, with silver and gold, but also, it says, there was not one feeble person among them. Even though they'd been ill-treated and no doubt bruised and injured by the Egyptian slave masters, when they left Egypt, not one of them was sick or feeble. I can only conclude from this that when they all ate by faith of the Passover lamb, and the scripture tells us they were dressed and ready to move off, God must have healed sick and broken bodies and imparted fresh strength to them for what they have had. I suggest to you that night might have been the biggest healing service in human history so far. And when we partake, friends, of the bread and the wine together in communion, we are, of course, remembering that our Passover lamb, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Jesus Christ has died for us. Not just for the forgiveness of our sins, but also for our healing. And in faith, we are to be expectant when we partake in the communion to actually receive from him fresh strength. Even physical healing. I remember many years ago in our church, in the early pioneering days, in fact, during communion, a lady let out a scream. It wasn't a scream, a negative scream, it was a scream of delight. Because as she partook of the bread and the wine, the warts that were all over her hands completely disappeared. Communion is not meant to be a lifeless religious ceremony, But something we do in remembrance of what the Lord suffered for our benefit. David reminds us, doesn't he, in Psalm 103, verses 2 to 3, he says that we are not to forget all of the Lord's blessings. And he lists the whole load, doesn't he? Including the healing of all our diseases, as well as the forgiveness of our sins. And I just want to encourage you, remind you, that partaking of the bread and the wine can be for you a time of claiming and receiving by faith blessings from the Lord. It's more than some religious ceremony. And so, at God's appointed time, the Israelites left Egypt. And Exodus 13 and verse 18 tells us how they had the specific leading of the Lord as to which they, way they should go. Don't you just love it when you know that you know that you know that God has spoken to you and given you clear leading? A bit like I knew this morning. I already knew before I came because of the way God had given me the message. But when I started getting the confirmations through the worship, that's, if you see me writing in a, in, a, in a church, it's not that I haven't finished my message, it's I'm writing down the things that are, that are sparking during the meeting that are, that are in, in line. But, you know, I'll be honest with you, sometimes i have sat in meetings and think, where on earth is my message going to fit in with this? But it's not like that at Newmarket. Amen? Isn't it good to have the Holy Spirit in our midst? Even if the pastor's not here, we've got the Holy Spirit. I know which I prefer. Sorry, Tony, if you're listening. (laughs) But you know what I mean. Hallelujah. And they've got the specific leading of the Lord, we're told, in Exodus 13 when they left Egypt. And God led them, we're told, by the desert road, even though, the scripture is very clear, that was not the shortest route. Don't you wish sometimes, when you have the sense of God leading you to do something, he'd take you by the shortest route? He doesn't do it our way, does he? He doesn't always lead us in the way that seems obvious to us, for we have limited knowledge of what lays ahead, but he is all-knowing. And he therefore led them by the longer desert road because he knew, the scripture tells us, they could not cope. Sorry, he knew, sorry, should I say, he knew what they could cope with and he knew they were not yet ready for battle with the Philistines. You'll find that in verse 17. Friends, I simply want to say this. Why do I say all this? Because God hasn't changed, and he also knows what, with his help, you can cope with. And that's both individually and corporately. You may feel, I just can't cope with this, but God knows, because he is a good, good father. He knows what we can cope with. He's for us, we sang this morning, not against us. He knows what, with his help, you can cope with. He understands, if I can put it this way, where we're at. His understanding is bigger than ours. He understands us and the situations we face and uh, better than we do ourselves. But, of course, his way of doing things is different. In fact, one of the translations says it's superior to ours. Superior to ours, Isaiah 55 I'm referring to. And so Exodus 13 tells us that God led his people, the Israelites, directly towards the Red Sea. Hmm? We sang, didn't we? He is for me. <laughs> God is for us, but he led them right into a situation that would cause them a setback. You see, we can sing some of these songs sometimes and we have a limited perspective and understanding of God's ways. And when we think even about him as being a father, we think about it how we might do something. But he's bigger than that. And his ways are superior to that. And even though he was for them and he's for you, he deliberately set them up for a setback. That doesn't fit our mind of a loving, caring father, does it? But it's the reality. He set them up for a setback. He led them into a situation where their faith and trust in him would need to grow. A situation in which they would need his miraculous intervention. He led the Israelites in the direction of where they would encounter a setback And then he showed them that he is bigger than any setback that they, or indeed we, can ever encounter. He provided a way forward for them where in the natural there didn't seem to be a way. We sang this morning, God who does the impossible. There was no way through the river, but he caused a way. He can cause a way where there isn't a way. He took them into a situation where their faith and trust would have to grow. He provided a way where there didn't seem to be a way. And he hasn't changed. He'll do the same for you. But I'll tell you something, he doesn't always do it as quick as we'd like him to. And that's when we're, that's when we're growing in faith and trust in him, isn't it? But I want you to be clear this morning. I want to say this. God is bigger than your setbacks. And in saying that, it's acknowledging we will all have setbacks. Some people might challenge me afterwards. That wasn't a very faith message this morning. Have you come across these people who've got this idea that we should never fail, we should never have a setback, we should never worry, I always say, well, why did the Lord put so much in the scriptures to help us to not worry if, he, if we're not supposed if we're not supposed to? I know we're not supposed to, but the teaching's there to help us not to, because the tendency is we will. Don't ask me to say that again. <laughs> He's bigger than our setbacks. Friend, you may have gone through a setback this week or you may have a setback next week but when you're facing this setback and you can't see any end and he doesn't seem to be making a way where there doesn't seem to be a way or yet he hasn't yet made a way, hold on to the fact he is bigger than my setback. Secondly, God is bigger than the strongholds you come up against. God is able... To demolish strongholds, both in places, in your town, in your villages, as well as to demolish strongholds in people's minds. He'll destroy, he can destroy strongholds in places and in people. If we move on in the history of Israel, I'm sorry I can't read all these passages of scripture this morning. If you don't know them all, have a good look at them when you get home during the week. But moving on in the history of Israel, During the time of Joshua's leadership, we have a great example of how God is bigger than strongholds. Both physical strongholds in places and mental strongholds in people's minds. In the early chapters of the book of Joshua, we read how God's people had crossed over the river Jordan from their wilderness wanderings into God's promised place of blessings. They had consecrated themselves, we're told, afresh to God and his purposes for them with the expectation of God doing amazing things among them. And then, seemingly, quite unexpectedly, they faced, immediately before them, a stronghold. Joshua 6, verse 1 tells us, the city of Jericho was tightly shut up. That's a stronghold, if you want to stick with my alliteration. There was a locked up situation before them. They were up against a stronghold which was blocking the way forward for them, entering more fully into God's plans for them. The place, the situation before them was a literal physical stronghold and it was also the substance for the making of a stronghold of the mind, especially for their senior leader, Joshua. Can you imagine? As Joshua looked at the facts before him, that his mind would be telling him, it's impossible. It's an impossible situation. See, Mike was referring to this kind of thing this morning. It can't be done. How can God possibly use me to lead these people? There's this stronghold staring us in this face. There's this difficulty. It was a stronghold, which naturally speaking could not be broken open. The scripture tells us there was no way in the city and there was no way out. It says no one went out and no one came in. It was a stronghold. It was an impossible situation. But as we sang this morning, God is a God of impossibilities. But I'll tell you this. I found, interestingly, that it can be at a time of progress. They crossed the river. They'd reconsecrated themselves. They were high in their spirits. They were possessing what God had promised for so many years. It can be at a time of progress, of moving forward in God's purposes, when suddenly a church congregation, whether it's the congregation of Israel or Newmarket Community Church or any other church for that matter, when suddenly a church congregation can come up against a stronghold. A situation which metaphorically speaking is completely locked up and which has all the potential to form a stronghold in your mind telling you that the situation is impossible. And when I speak of churches facing a stronghold, I mean it, to change it. Just a big obstacle. Okay? Just so we're clear. Or some locked up situation which is limiting the forward progress of the church. And such obstacles can present themselves in many, many forms. A typical obstacle maybe for a church today, for example, might be a blockage to finding suitable premises. Or a shortage of finances. For the church that we're based in in Colchester, both of those needs are currently locked up situations. They are similar to Jericho type strongholds and unless they're broken open, they will affect the ability of God's people to move forward. However, the good news is that our God is bigger than the strongholds that we come up against. He's bigger than what in the natural realm are locked up situations. He can unlock situations and sometimes he even demolishes completely the obstacles which are in the way of our forward progress. We have to ask him incidentally. That was in Psalm 3 that Claire started with this morning about the foes that said, but I call out to you. He wants us to place our dependence in him by asking. Yes, he knows what our needs are, but he wants us to ask. But what can we learn from the example of the Jericho stronghold that's recorded in Joshua chapters five and six? I haven't got time to read it. I hope many of you will, it'll be familiar to you, but let me help you. Firstly, faced with the seriousness of the situation before them, Joshua The senior leader of God's people needed a fresh revelation of the Lord as the one who is the answer to the seeming impossible situation that was facing them. He needed a fresh experience of the Lord to give him fresh confidence to lead the people forward to confront the obstacle before them. Any stronghold of doubt or despair in his mind had to be dealt with first before God could use him to deal with the physical stronghold. Secondly, I guess most of you know how Joshua had a meeting, an encounter with the Lord, a time of significance with the Lord. It was a pre-incarnation appearance of Christ. Christ, God the Son, who's existed from the beginning, came to Joshua as he was looking, assessing the situation. The scripture tells us he was close up to the stronghold. It was staring him in the face. The difficulty, the impossibility of the situation. He was pondering on it. He was weighing it up. He was assessing it. And at that time, In his time of need for a fresh revelation, Christ appeared to him, we're told, as the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua was overwhelmed by that experience, and he fell down and he worshipped the Lord. Now we know that the Lord told Moses many years earlier that he, the Lord, is the I am. I am what you need. I am the commander of the Lord's army. I am your healer. I am your provider. I am. But if you're anything like me, and I take comfort in the fact I seem to be a bit like Joshua as well, so often we need to have a fresh encounter with the Lord in the context of the situation that we're facing. Isn't that right? Whilst God is bigger than every need we have, whether that is financial or for healing or for restoration, so often we need convincing of the certainty of this. Do you know what I mean? We can sing the songs and we kind of know in our heads, God is a great God, God is this, God is that. But it's not until we face particular situations, we face a stronghold, we face... a a situation where we can't see any way out of it, that then we really need to know. Do you understand what I mean? We really need to know that God is bigger than the situation we're facing. And that his ways are higher, that they're superior to ours. You know, I was struck by the fact the other day, I added it into my notes, that It was from going through all that Job went through that he actually came to a place where he could say with a certainty, I know that you, and he was addressing God, can do all things. Do you know where you find that? In the very last chapter of the book of Job. It's not till he's gone through all that he went through, and many of you remember all the terrible stuff he went through, that he was then able to say, as it were, the emphasis is, I'm utterly convinced now. Everything may have not worked out the way I expected or I hoped for it, etc. But I'm utterly convinced you can do all things. And in fact, beyond that, he can cause and he does cause all things to work together for the good of those that love him and have been called according to his purpose. We got anybody here this morning that loves the Lord? I imagine most of you do, if not all of you do. If not, you'd be doing something else on a Sunday morning, wouldn't you? He's promised he'll work it all out for good. But my goodness, during the tough times, you really have to hold on to that, don't you? Let's be honest. And I've lost my place. What am I talking about? Of oh, strongholds. My third point out of the Joshua stronghold. In Joshua 5, and verse 14, it reveals that during Joshua's time with the Lord, whilst he was responding to what God had shown him. See, he 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 was facing a physical battle. So he needed to see the Lord as the commander of the Lord's army. For some of you, you don't need to see him as the commander of the Lord's army, you need to perhaps see him as the compassionate one that cares for the situation you're in. But as he was responding to what he'd seen, you may not see it physically or in a vision or however he saw it, but you might see it through the pages of Scripture or through the line of a song or just in the quietness in your own home. But as he was responding to what he'd seen in worship, the Scripture is very clear. At the same time, he was actively seeking a word from the Lord, we would say. He was looking for the Lord's instruction for the situation he found himself in. And in chapter 6 of Joshua and verse 2, it tells us that the Lord told Joshua to begin to see the situation differently to how his physical eyes and his mind were telling him. The Lord said to him, straight out of scripture, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Notice That from God's perspective, it was already done. See, I have, past tense, delivered Jericho into your hands. But his physical eyes and his mind were telling him, it's not so. Why is that? Why is this contradiction? Paul... The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 4.17 that our God is a God who calls things which are not yet as though they are. Such is his confidence in what he set out to do. He sees it as done. And God told Joshua he needed to begin to see, in other words, to imagine the situation as God saw it as a done deal. And thus God says to him, see I have, past tense, delivered Jericho into your hands. Joshua was to begin to believe God for a breakthrough before there was any evidence of a breakthrough. And even before God had given him a strategy to change the situation which they're facing. You know, man's way of doing things, you know, I, I, I used to lecture in management and all those kinds of things um, and that. But, you know, our way of doing it is we look for the strategy first. We look look to make the plans to find our way out of here, but God says, no, 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 you need a fresh revelation of me, and then you need to begin to see things as I say they are. Then I'll give you a strategy. (laughs) See, see. Not with the natural mind, but as I have said. And after God had revealed himself to be the answer to their specific situation, and after he'd encouraged Joshua to change his thinking and his believing, God then gave him the necessary strategy. And because God's ways are different to our ways, his way of unlocking that particular stronghold was through faith-filled praise. In a very similar way to how in Acts chapter 16... Paul and Silas's praise seemingly released God's praise to power, sorry, to unlock prisoners' chains, there's the reference to chains, and prison doors. The corporate shout of praise from God's people under Joshua's leadership unlocked the stronghold of Jericho and the city walls were literally demolished. I'm not suggesting that is always God's strategy. But God will give you a strategy. God will give you a way out. God will give you a way through, whether that be individually or corporately. But first of all, seek Him for Him. Was it was it Tommy Tenney years ago who said, the trouble is we have the knack of um, seeking God, approaching God for His hands and not His head, or something like that. We want what we can get out of Him rather than focusing on Him, the beauty of His holiness, just to worship Him. We worship Him first for who He is, the God who is bigger. But then He gives us our strategy, because He does care about us, because He is a good, good Father. By the way, there is a place for every one of you in Father's house that are here. Whether you've yet committed your life to Christ or not, there's a place reserved for you. God is bigger than any stronghold you come against. And thirdly and finally, God is bigger than the struggles that we experience. In a fallen world, characteristic, characterized by troubles of all kinds, we all, from time to time, no one's exempt from this, we all experience struggles. Someone comes to me after and says, oh, oh, I never struggle. The greater one lives in me, etc., etc. I say, well, you must be more ready to go to be with the Lord than I am. Because there are times when I still struggle. There are times occasionally when I struggle with my own self-worth, when I struggle to think did I hear God properly, etc. We live in a fallen world. And the storms of life if I can use that figure of speech cause us at times to struggle. I was fascinated by this and I I grabbed my dictionary. I'm a bit old-fashioned. I still have books on shelves. I know some of you have thrown all your books away and you're into technology, I like to get my book. I know, in some of my books, I know roughly where it is on the page, what I'm looking for. And I pulled down my book to have a look at this word, struggle. Do you know there's two aspects to struggle? Like two sides of a coin. One aspect is all about the fact that to struggle is all about you're making your way, you're you're moving forward through life circumstances, but you're only doing it with difficulty and great effort. Anyone know what that's like? Oh, I'll, I'll bet there's a few here. But there's another aspect to struggling, another meaning to it, if you like, and it's all about contending or fighting against an, an opponent. And of course, as believers, we experience both sides of the coin. Don't we? You know, we, there are times, let's be honest, when we are making forward progress, but only just, and in half got a lot of effort attached to it, but also we recognize that we have to fight against, not just well, well, not, not people, we have to fight against things that are coming against us, against evil spiritual powers. Amen? But the good news is, and we sang it this morning, the day is coming when every knee will bow, and I believe that includes invisible spirit powers as well. As people. But we struggle. We struggle with the things coming at us. And we struggle in a battle as Christians, don't we? In the sense of fighting against. Well, in Matthew chapter 14, and it's in some of the other Gospels as well, we've got a a record of a literal physical storm. I think I've probably referred to it previously here in a totally different message. But we have an account of a storm. It was a literal storm. It was a physical storm and it caused the disciples of Jesus to struggle as they sought with difficulty and great effort contending against the wind and the waves to make their way forward across the Sea of Galilee in obedience to the directions that Jesus had given them. You'd think, wouldn't you, if God God in the person of Jesus, the Son of God, had told them, I want you to Move to another place. That's effectively what you're saying. Want you to go over on the other side of life. Want you to move to another place. You'd think it'd all be plain sailing, wouldn't you? You see, sometimes you hear God, and it's not till you've stepped out in obedience to what He said that then a storm hits you—a metaphorical storm. I'm not talking about Eric or anything like that. Storm Eric was it? Storm Eric. Anyway, in Matthew 14, they're in the, they get caught up in this storm. They're contending with the wind and the waves to make their way across the sea. Now, this, was, this wasn't a fairy story. This isn't a nursery rhyme or anything like that, Okay, just to be clear. This was a specific situation for those disciples to learn from, but it's also been included in the scriptures for us disciples today to learn from in our struggles that we experience in the troubles and storms of life. So what are some of the things we can learn from this occasion to help us? Firstly, a storm, stormy or difficult situation in your life, which causes you to struggle, doesn't necessarily mean you've got off course and that you're outside of God's will. In fact, it doesn't even mean you've done anything wrong. It might, but it doesn't necessarily some of you may have had some experiences with a few Job's friends, you know? Job's comforters. They were convinced when things didn't seem to go right by their understanding, it must be because he'd done something wrong. It doesn't necessarily mean that. Matthew 14, tells us that Jesus, it actually says, he made them get into the boat and set across to the other side. I mean, that's pretty compelling guidance for me. You know, it's a bit like when you read in the Old Testament, the heavy hand of the Lord came upon them. They were compelled. They knew of a certainty. He told them, get in the boat, go on. I'll be praying for you up the mountain, but you go on ahead. They'd received very clear guidance. He compelled them to get into the boat. I've just said that, forgive me, it was in the notes. <laughs> to move to a different place. But it didn't mean it was all plain sailing. Challenges, friends, and difficulties on your life's course does not automatically mean that you've got the Lord's guidance wrong. I want to smash that because if, if that is there just in the slightest doubt about that, he, the devil will use it a bit like Mike was saying, there were these, these wrong thoughts that come. And before you know it, the wrong thought, to go back to the previous point, can develop into a stronghold in the mind. Secondly, I want you to notice, in Matthew 14, 24, it tells us that they'd already gone, these are the words, a considerable distance from the land before the storm broke. In other words, they'd gone too far to turn back. (laughs) There was no point turning back. They were, as it were, halfway across the lake. They'd gone too far to turn back when the storm broke that caused them to struggle. And they were buffeted, the scripture says, by waves because the wind was against them. Mark 6, Mark's account in Mark 6 verse 48 says that they were straining at the oars to keep moving forward. They, in other words, they had to contend with everything that was against them. I want to encourage someone here this morning and you've felt like giving up because you've just grown weary and contending because it's been such an effort just to keep moving forward. I want to encourage you. It might be like you're straining against the oars and it's just taking all the energy you have. Keep on believing. Keep pressing forward. Thirdly, I want you to notice this. God's intervention was not immediate what kind of a father have we got Mark tells us that Jesus who incidentally was in an elevator position up the mountain praying the scripture tells us in one of the gospel accounts he could see them struggling on the lake Uh that same Jesus is now our great high priest who's in an elevator position he knows what's going on in your life he could see doesn't mean he always immediately springs to action or sends angels on your assignment to you immediately because he wants to allow you to go through some of these difficulties and these struggles so that you are trust in him, so that you will grow. His, his intervention was not immediate. The scripture says in Mark 6 verse 48, it wasn't until the fourth watch of the night That Jesus, God the Son, came to their aid, walking on the water in the midst of the storm. Do you know when the fourth watch is? Anybody? It's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Do you know what that tells me? They went through the darkest time on their own. Or shall I put it this way? They weren't on their own, but he was at a distance. Do you ever feel like sometimes God's at a distance? I mean, I like the picture that came this morning in the worship and I'm not taking it away from but sometimes it doesn't feel like God's hand is on our hand, does it? It feels like he's at a distance. And I'm quite confident that he, because he could see them, would have been praying for them even though it it felt like it was at a distance. And he didn't come immediately. They went through the dark. In fact, I go this far. If you just think about it physically speaking, if it was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., it was when light was beginning to dawn on the situation that God began to move into the situation. And sometimes it feels like that. I hope you understand the, the graphical language I'm using. Sometimes it can feel like you're going through the darkest time on your own. You're not, but it feels like that. And then suddenly you have a greater sense that God has been with you all the time and he's drawing near. And he came to their aid. Sometimes we can feel, as I've said a moment ago, the Lord is at a distance. That he's slow to come to our aid. If you, when you experience that, friends, remember his ways are higher than ours. And he does know what he's doing. And it's at such times of struggle that he wants us to learn to trust him more fully. And when Jesus, my fourth point, when Jesus finally came to their aid, his words for them are also entirely fitting for us when we are struggling in the midst of one of life's storms. He said, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. In other words, I am with you. Don't be afraid. Remember, even when it feels like he is at a distance to you, he has promised, never will I leave you or forsake you. And finally, both Matthew and Mark tell us that when Jesus got into the vessel, the storm died down And with him in the boat, they completed the crossing successfully. And the scripture says they arrived at this new place. For them, it was a physical place. But often for us, it's when we've struggled through a storm that we also arrive at a new place. Not a physical place, but we arrive at a new place of increased faith and of dependency on the Lord. And we're told when they arrived at this new place, then people recognised Jesus was with them. And the sick were brought to him and healed. Friends, God is bigger than our struggles. And he wants to turn our struggles into a strength through increased faith and dependency on him, which comes through such experiences, both for us individually and also for you as a church. You know, When churches go through struggles, as they do, God wants it to bring the church to a new place of trust in him so that more people in the place where you are will come to recognize that Jesus is with them. Jesus is with you. And he still heals today. Friends, God is bigger than your struggles And he will help you come through them. As I just said, our struggles can become a strength in us from experiencing his ability to bring us through to a new place of increased faith. God is bigger than the setbacks that we encounter. God is bigger than the strongholds we come up against. He is bigger than the struggles we experience. God, is, in fact, is bigger than anything that the devil can throw at you. He's bigger than your fears. He's bigger than your mistakes. He's bigger than whatever we can imagine. And as Mike has already quoted from Ephesians 3, he is able to do exceedingly above what we dare ask or imagine because our God is undeniably bigger. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that you are, I don't know how else to put it, in a league of your own. You're bigger. You're a great God. You're superior. You're a God who does impossibilities. And we take great great encouragement and comfort and strength from that but incredibly you stooped down in human history became like us so that we you can relate to us and we can relate to you and we thank you this morning that in the bigness of it all you're our father You don't do things in the way we would often expect or that we would do it, but we trust in the fact that your ways are higher and superior and that you are a good, good father. I pray for any specifically this morning who feel they're up against setbacks or strongholds or at the particular time they're going through a struggling situation. God, I pray you will help them to put their roots down deeper to you, to trust you, until such time in your wisdom that you intervene. I thank you, you are causing it to work together for their good. I pray they'll be specifically encouraged. They will know the help of the helper, the Holy Spirit, at this particular time. And I pray blessing upon this congregation as they continue to move forward, that they will be encouraged when there are setbacks, when there are challenges, they will remember above everything else, God is bigger. God is bigger. God is bigger than this and we're going to trust him. And we're going to be surprised sometimes at what God does to bring us through these situations.